Hello and welcome to God is a Dad podcast. My name is Justin. I'll be your host. In a minute, I'll be joined by my friends Dan and Jake. But if this is your first time listening to our podcast, let me give you a quick intro into who we are, what we're about, and what you can hope to get out of our show. Like I said, we're three friends. We've been friends for over 10 years now, and now we all have families. We are three guys who are really curious about the best way to parent, and we kind of feel like the best way to parent probably lies somewhere with God, which means that a framework that we use to make decisions about parenting is to look at God as our parent, ask ourselves, how does he parent us, and then try to parent our kids kind of the same way. I would say the one thing that's important to understand about our show is that we do not feel like we are teachers, nor do we feel like we have the ability to teach anyone the right way to raise their family. Uh, We think that each family is different. Each family is a unique expression of God's own heart. And so for us to sit here and tell you this is the right way to parent, this is the wrong way to parent, we just don't feel like that's kind of our place. When we say things or when we draw conclusions, you should know that we're drawing those conclusions kind of for our own families and for our own marriages. And even though we're doing that, we still thought it would be fun to post these in a podcast format because we think it would be really interesting to listen to other people kind of wrestle through and engage with some of the harder questions that they're dealing with in parenting. And so we thought other people might find it enjoyable to listen to us kind of do that as well with our families. So that's that's why we're here in the first place. We are planning to in the future have our wives on because we think they have really great stuff to say, but also because we think it's important to get both the mom and the dad perspective when it comes to parenting. Uh, We really do see this as a parenting podcast, not as a specifically dad podcast. Obviously, we're dads and we'll be on most of the episodes, but we do want to bring in female voices too because one of the major goals we have with this podcast is that it would be a show that moms and dads could both listen to with the intent that it would hopefully spark meaningful conversations about parenting with your spouse if you're married. We really think there's only so much anyone could actually get out of just listening to someone else talk. What we'd really like to happen mostly is for moms and dads to talk together about how they can parent better. And sometimes it's just easier to have those conversations if you have kind of a context to talk about them within. Last thing before we get started, the audio quality on this episode is not up to the standards of future episodes. If some of the crackling, the popping, or the ringing that happens intermittently throughout this episode bothers you, quit and pull up a later episode. I promise it gets much, much better. Without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about mistakes. First topic, I thought we should start with uh, how we view mistakes and what we do with mistakes because, uh, well, for two main reasons, um, I think that if we're talking about how we parent uh, or live life, it made a lot of sense to me that we would first talk about how to handle not doing the right thing. We're going to talk a lot about what the right thing is to do, but uh, especially in parenting and kind of all in life, uh, mistakes are really, really common. So I thought it was kind of a crucial thing that we'd have locked down. First question I kind of want to open with is you know, how do you guys handle your own mistakes, uh, whether that's in marriage or fatherhood, career mistakes, or any kind of life mistakes? Like, how do you handle them? How do you view them? Uh, what's the process you go through when you make a mistake? The way I generally handle mistakes in reality is I run away from them for as long yeah. as I can until I realize it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> that's like the turning point for me is is kind of like realizing that if I make a mistake, like the world still continues and it still loves me. God still loves me. <laughs> I'm not going to implode all of a sudden because I, I sinned or I spent too much money or what, whatever it is. But that's kind of like my hang up. Like I'm always afraid that the initial reaction is going to be super tense. They're going to be angry with me. God's going to be angry with me or whatever. And then I realize like, oh, I'm okay. I can go to him because he's already forgiven me. 
So I, my, yeah, my question with that would be then when, like, when do you, is there, can you, do you notice like a common theme is like how you stop running or what, what causes you to stop running and recognize them? Gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> but I think a lot of it has just been over time having like the experience um, over and over again of, you know, repenting and my life being good, <laughs> much better than before I repented. So like, I think it's just like me recognizing like, okay, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm okay. I can go admit this mistake or I can go talk uh, to somebody or I can, I can go and process this without it negatively affecting the rest of my day or hour or time with that person. It's the, what lie was I believing? Oh, that, that's not true. That's not God's truth. That's not true in reality. <laughs> and then what's the truth? But then the person that I've offended or hurt, I have to maybe empathize a little bit with that person <laughs> once I get over my mistake. My wife might say I'm not the best at doing that after. I'm fine with, <laughs> I'm fine with what I just did. Do either of you have that, that issue? You're like, ah, oh, come on. It's not that big a deal. I just da-da-da-da-da. Can't you forgive me? Oh yeah, I'm always I'm always telling Nicole to get over things faster. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Uh, Not if I know I'm the reason for the mistake, mm. then I'm I'm not giving empathy towards myself, if, if I, or I'm not uh, forgiving myself. It's harder for me to to forgive myself than it is to assume that another person forgave me. So let's say let's say you forgive yourself then. That takes much longer, typically, than your wife or somebody else to forgive you? Uh, yeah, for sure. Because I think the, the way I process mistakes is, first, I try to think if it was someone else's fault. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, made a mistake, or someone made a mistake. Who could it be? Definitely not me. And so I think that's why it takes me so long to forgive myself because it takes me quite a while to even realize that I was the one who did the mistake. <laughs> mm. So like, for example, this is like a really like low stakes uh, scenario. I, it, it's not even like a sin thing, but when uh, we found out we, we were pregnant, we both thought uh, Elliot was going to be a girl. We're like, oh man, like mm -hmm. for sure we think it's a girl. Adrian was 100% like it's a girl. And I think probably I was like. Wait, 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 wait. Why? Why did you, you think it was a girl? Just our gut, our, our gut instinct. And so, <laughs> so you know, you're, you're like guessing okay. and you're like whatever. Like, okay, we like think it's a girl. So we okay. find out. Like, he's a boy, and we're both pretty shocked. But then, like, my <laughs> my revisionist history, though, I'm like, well, I only thought it was a girl because Adrian thought it was a girl. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> and so that's typically how I view my mistakes. Like, man, I was influenced by someone else, like, or someone else did this to me. Or, like, that person is just dumber than me. And so, of course, they, they're, they're the ones that made the mistake. And so, like, with, with the pregnancy thing, it was like, no, I'm pretty sure I thought it was a girl just as much as she did. <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. like, just by myself, like, I thought that as well. And so, it's just funny trying to 
put myself in a better light <laughs> from my own perspective. So yeah. that's initially how I process a mistake. Once you once you admit that you have made a mistake, uh, is it easy to get over it for you? Yeah, for for the most part, it, it depends. Obviously, like the the degree of it. Uh, actually, maybe like the smaller things take it, it, it's harder for me to to get over than like bigger things because they're less obvious. Yeah, they're no that because uh, I feel like I I should know better with little things <laughs> so that i mean that's a question that i that I, like a genuine question i had like the small mistakes versus the big mistakes thing like how do you think we're supposed to view them are, are we supposed to view them differently does god view like small mistakes differently than big mistakes does he have like a spectrum is there like a ranking system kind of and does he handle them differently are we supposed to 100 percent. oh yeah no doubt i think uh wait a hundred percent for what hundred percent i totally think he handles and sees differences and mistakes yes i i think he does i mean he he's a nuanced god but i think the way he handles it is different than what i would expect sure like sometimes i feel like the major mistakes i would i i feel like there would be major consequences but he seems to be like pretty surprising in that regard Mm -hmm. like the the major the major mistakes he, he I don't know. At least from my life, it seems like he's a lot more gentle when there are major mistakes, and maybe just my like day to day like living. Jake, why are, why were you mean to that person? You know, he's a lot more stern. I th- I think with me when it comes to just the day to day, like, hey, you you should know better than that. I ra- I raised you better than to uh, be a jerk to that person. Mm-hmm. Like I I hear his voice more in my day to day stuff. Than like the major, oh man, I, I've been looking at porn or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think the question for me comes out of, I've, I just have this feeling that we, we have a history of treating certain sins, certain mistakes as like really bad and taking them very, very seriously and certain, certain ones as not that serious. I'm not sure that a lot of times our, our perception of what's serious is quite accurate. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's what people were doing all the time when Jesus was walking around. Is they, they had these lists of sins that were really serious and these people that were untouchable. And if you did this, you were whatever. And uh, he seemed to not think a lot of those things were as big of a deal as people as other people did. Uh, but some, sometimes he thought certain actions, certain mistakes right. were way worse than right. we like perceived them. I feel like the way God responds or the way that anybody responds to a person making a mistake uh, depends a lot on whether or not that person feels remorse for what they did. And so like a lot of the smaller sins, I don't feel any remorse for. <laughs> so like, uh, I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll keep on doing it. And then uh, I feel like God or somebody else would maybe reprimand me more, more uh, and talk to me in a, in a different way than if like I had just screwed up my life because I'm obviously remorseful for, for what I just did. But then like, you know, it could also be that I, I make a big mistake, like get a DUI or something and I don't care. Uh, then I'm I'm going to be responded to like with more severity uh, than if I were just to be angry with Anna or something. But I think that's kind of a lot of where I think how he handles it come from is like whether or not we show show repentance or remorse or um, and then the maybe like the measure of the response is 
based on the severity of the the crime. <laughs> but the crime being not the actual crime. The crime would be your level of remorse. Interesting. And then maybe maybe like more like natural consequences would flow out. I mean, maybe they could be like God's doing, but also maybe it's just like, well, if you get a DUI, I'm gonna, you know, do community service, have a fine. I don't know what the penalties for getting a DUI are, but yeah, I mean that's really true. I think I think when I think about it with like uh, my my own kids, like I I guess just struggle with how much what they do is supposed to really like uh, affect how I how I view it. But it it is true that like the thing that makes me the like incites my heart the most is when they do something specifically when they do something that like hurts other people. If James makes a mistake and it's like it hurts him, you know, he does something that that costs him something. I don't, it doesn't really make me that mm-hmm. mad. I just want him to like learn from it because kind of the, the punishment is already there for him, right? It made him mad. He it cost him something. Uh, the things that I take really seriously are when he hurts his brother, when he does something to somebody else that really harms them. Uh, that's mm-hmm. when I get really serious, uh, serious about it. And I think that to me, that's like the thing that costs the most difference. Mm. But you're right though, that the, like if he does something wrong and you see in his face, like immediately that he feels remorse for it. My, like my response doesn't need to be the same as if I need to co- sort of create or manufacture that response. In <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's the whole, that's like my whole goal with consequences or punishment or whatever is I'm trying to just create that hard attitude. Right. right? Where he's like, I'm sorry. Like I made a mistake. I need to change. Yeah. Uh, and if he makes a mistake and knows right away, then my response is very different. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of interesting to me that that's like what, what we're arriving at is that it has less to do with the actual thing that he did. Right. And more to do with his response immediately after his mistake, which is not really what I would have expected. I think. What were your initial thoughts when you, when you had the question pop in your head, Justin? Yeah. I, I just didn't think he really did view them that differently because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the way we view mistakes comes from our culture. What culturally people say is a big deal or not a big deal. You know, it's kind of like when Jesus talks about like you, you know, you're not going to murder somebody, but every time you hate somebody, that's murder to me. To me, that's God saying like, yeah, murder and hate are kind of on the same plane. And, you know, it's your cultural pers- perspective that creates a difference because he's just a God that looks at the heart. Right. Sure. And so we focus a lot of the outward on the outward stuff, I think, that comes with sin. And he obviously can see the, the whole heart. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about like what god sees as a mistake uh i feel like the differences are are pretty minimal but when we think about how god responds to us after the mistakes i think those can be pretty different you know my my question is like are we supposed to feel like way more remorseful or way more sorry for certain sins than others or are like some sins supposed to like take us a lot longer to get over than others and i just haven't really found that to be like true in my life that one thing Nicole and I talk about a lot is with each other, our goal throughout our marriage has been to get over like each other's mistakes a lot faster and to get over our own mistakes a lot faster. And kind of we've, <laughs> we have sort of measured the maturity of our relationship and the maturity of our relationship with God. One common like measuring stick we use is how quickly we can like sin against each other and then move past it and kind of reconcile. And early on, it took a long time, you know, I mean, <laughs> several hours to, you know, almost a couple of days or whatever. And now, I mean, we just, just the other night, we were like, we had a, a little disagreement or a spat. Or I did something. I don't really actually remember the details, but afterwards it took about like 30 minutes and then we were both kind of okay. And back, like back to normal, back to like the status quo. And she looked at me and she was like, 
wow, like five years ago, that would have lasted a lot longer. And I was like, yeah, I think that's a really good sign that like we could, we could go through the exact same mm-hmm. thing five years apart. And in one instance, it takes two days to kind of get back to normal and to reconcile and to, to go back to the norm- way things were. And five years later, it takes 30 minutes or whatever, whatever it was. Oh, man. I think that's a fair measure. No doubt. So, yeah, I guess I don't know how much, um, how much this will like apply to, to Jake as much because I'm guessing Elliot's not making like super big mistakes. But I guess it applies to Adrian too. It applies to, it applies to your wife. I think there's a, there can be a difference between like your own right. so, like your own mistakes and, and then the people's mistakes that you're leading. Like what do you see as your general pattern for how you handle mistakes made by your children or your wife? Yeah. No, it, it's funny to see just even Elliot as a 10-month-old and his learning process. So I think now trying to handle his quote-unquote mistakes as an infant, you're really just trying to teach him pattern recognition <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, it'll just cause and effect. His mistakes are not necessarily like sin mistakes, but just, hey, if you want to live and if you want to survive, <laughs> these are just the basic things that you'll need to learn. Like, hey, gravity is a real thing, so don't roll off the bed. I don't know, man. I feel like that's kind of how I view my kids. Maybe around this last year, I've started to feel like they're human beings and they're five. Uh, so I feel like a lot of my stuff is still based on, or my, the way that I handle mistakes is still pretty binary. Like, yeah, don't put your foot on that railing because it's a two foot or a two story drop if you do. They're definitely starting to have some more of those conflicts where like they get mad at each other or they make bad decisions. But I think what Anna and I are trying to do a lot of is build responsibility in them right now because I think they're they know a lot of what's expected of them and their new line is like Eli did you you didn't wash your hands or turn off the lights oh oh I forgot "Ah, I've already told you that three times today I'm not sure that you forgot that that's the thing we're trying to work on is responsibility so that they pick up their toys so that they don't leave the house in a complete mess or they, you know, flush the toilet after they go to the bathroom or they wash their hands. We've been pretty strict with them in terms of like, okay, you get one chance to do this and then you go in your bed. You get one chance to do this or you get a swat. You get one chance to do this or you don't get to play the Wii for 15 minutes or you get one chance to do this. And we've been pretty like hard on the consequences because without that repetition in their life, they seem to push the boundaries or not be cognizant of the actions they're doing. And so a lot of times right now we need something for them to trigger and think like, Oh, I need to pick up my toys right now. Otherwise I'm not going to get an ice cream cone, you know, that dad said I could get. And it's been pretty interesting because one of the things we do is I really expect my kids to be able to eat spicy food (laughs) just because I want them to be able to handle spicy food. We make, you know, red curry or green curry with Thai chilies in it or jalapenos or serrano peppers. The thing we do with them is like, it's your responsibility. This is the food that you have to eat. And you can't just say like, oh, I'm not going to eat this food. (laughs) I think the longest we've gone with the dish, maybe lunch to two mornings from then when they eat it during breakfast. And so we just say like, that's fine if you don't want to eat it now, but that's going to be what's for dinner. 
that's fine if you don't want to eat it now, but that's what's going to be for breakfast or whatever until they finally do it. And <laughs> yesterday we, yeah, we had red curry. I put it on the plate or put it on the table. We had gotten ice cream cones and Ella goes, I don't want to eat this, but I think I'm going to eat it because I want the ice cream cone after, after dinner. And so I need to eat my curry now to get the ice cream cone. That's a victory. Oh, it's phenomenal. If we have like a dessert, they will eat their dinner. But if they don't have a dessert, they'll be like, oh, that's okay. I'll eat it for, I'll eat it for breakfast. <laughs> but I would say it's fairly similar in terms of a lot of the mistakes they make. They're just more so like recognition or just like life skills that they need, they need to have uh, to be responsible six-year-olds. Yeah, that makes sense that the, the challenge gets different as your kids develop, right? I feel like I might, I might end up parenting my kids older than they are just because I'm surrounded by students all day. So I kind of think about their mistakes a lot and wh- how they, I want them to be their mistakes. And then I probably do that same thing with my kids, even though they're maybe too young for some of the concepts. <laughs> so like the thing that we, that we find ourselves saying all the time, and I think it's, I think it's what God wants us to, to see about mistakes is we, we tell our kids all the time, like after they make a mistake and we give them consequence, punish them or whatever, we kind of end the conversation by saying like, now remember mistakes are good. Right. And they say, right. Mistakes are good. And we say, why are mistakes good? And then they say, because we learn from them. Right. And it, it's like, what well, Ella, like she made a mistake several times about the curry. And then she finally learned like, yeah, I mean, I had to eat curry over and over again. And now I understand that in the future, like I'm going to have to keep eating until I finish it. And I just think that's like for my kids, I, I think it's one of the most valuable things that I'm, I'm really trying, like even at this young age to just try and press on them as much as I can. Because I want them to take their mistakes seriously, but I also want them to take something away from it. You know, I don't want them to get in that cycle of just making a mistake, getting consequence, making a mistake, getting consequence. Mm, yeah. One, it's just exhausting yeah. for like me. But two, it's a kind of all of life, right? You just go through life, you make mistakes, and the, the quicker you learn from them, the quicker you'll gain maturity. And it's like really helpful. Like I think with your attitude too, I'm, I, you know, I'm really trying to teach James right now. Uh, how to how to shoot a basketball and he's he's kind of like a, he's like his mom so he's like a like a high achiever like a succeeder so every time he fails it demotivates him right every time he misses he like wants to stop and so i when we were first starting to learn i had i had to talk to him all the time like he'd miss and then he'd get sad and i have to like bring him over and be like james mistakes are good we want to miss we have to miss a lot in order to make some now i'm getting to the point where it's, he's getting better but he's not there but i think the more you can view your mistakes. Like obviously you want to be sad about them and, and, you know, remorseful and repent or whatever. But once you get past them, then you can look back at them and say like, Oh, they're good. And I think we all, we all know that personally, like with our own mistakes, like I think when you look back at the things that really like were were genuinely a a big part of you becoming who you are, a lot of times it's the mistakes that you made. Right. And, and what you learned from them and who you became out of them. Mm -hmm. And I think God recognizes that in, in like a big way. And I think he put us on this earth and fully ex- like expected us to make a lot of mistakes. I guess, yeah, the, the more I've learned about him and his heart, the more I've realized that I think he's all about us getting past them and being like, mistakes are good. Yeah. And I, yeah. as long as I learn from them, uh, that's kind of like a, like a big mantra of our family. I like that. That'll, uh, what brought you guys to that? Uh, that's a good question. I, Genuinely, I have learned like a lot from, uh, I started to play a lot more basketball and I've started to try to learn how to like shoot a basketball. And it's almost like a spiritual process when I go to the gym to shoot because 
I just feel like this is probably true with a lot of sports, but I feel like kind of all of life can sort of be like encapsulated by sports and trying to get better at something, you know, trying to grow. Like that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to grow and increase my percentages in my shoot. Sure. And what you realize pretty quickly when you try to accomplish something like that is that the road to that, that process is littered with lots of mistakes and you just don't get better unless you're willing to make a lot of mistakes and unless you don't get to get discouraged by them, but you look at them and you ask yourself like, what can I do differently in order to fix my shot? But I think a lot of it too has come with uh, watching students struggle in school and you just see them make the same mistakes over and over again. When you see that happening, you're like, you need to learn from them. But a lot of times people are not able to learn from their mistakes if, if they avoid them because they're ashamed of them, like in their mind, mentally or emotionally, if they avoid their mistakes, then you can't learn from them because you're ashamed of them. Yeah. And so seeing people make the same mistakes over and over again and not learning from them and not getting good stuff out of them has really motivated me to make sure I do that with my kids. Without sports being in your life or basketball being, being the primary way that you're okay with mistakes, you know, like you, when you set off to do something like that, you're going to make a mistake mistake being missing a basket right but what other things in your life are you that would really help me i have that for school you know i have that mindset like every time i make a mistake i'm saying for the gre right now and i think my current quantitative score is 40 (laughs) percent, and so i have a lot of mistakes that i can that i can learn from which i don't really like making those mistakes but i recognize that those are good things to to see and learn and whatever I think that's a really productive attitude towards mistakes. I just don't know where else I apply it. Because there's not many areas like in my life life that I'm okay with like, I'm going to go make a bunch of mistakes and I'm okay with that. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not even, I guess I'm not even sure that mistakes is necessarily the right way to think about it. It probably stems from the worldview that I'm always trying to accept as much responsibility for what's happening in my life as I can. So if something's happening, I'm always looking for my responsibility, like the part that I play in making that thing happen. So if things in my life are not going the way in, in any any arena, right? Something as small as shooting a basketball, something as big as my kids are not responding to discipline in the way that I want them to, right? They're not obeying as quickly as I want them to. My first inclination is to ask myself or to tell myself, I'm very responsible for that. I have a lot of responsibility. And when, when I kind of admit that, then the next question is, well, what am I doing wrong? Or what can I do better to get the desired result? And then when you're constantly asking yourself that question, going through that process, it's kind of like you're essentially saying like, I've made a mistake thus far. What do I need to do differently in order to get the, my desired result in my basketball shot or in my children's obedience? So I, I think that's, that's fundamentally what it is. And you do that enough times you start to really recognize that like every day you're making lots of quote unquote mistakes and they're all very teachable moments. If, if you're willing to kind of open your mind to that, open your eyes to that reality that you're causing a lot of the things that are happening in your life. I think that's where it stems from. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You apply this to the game of life. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it's fundamentally how I think life works. And so I want to make sure my kids understand that. It's this idea that if you make good choices, good things happen. And if you make bad choices, bad things happen. So if you make bad choices, the best thing you can get out of it is to learn from those bad choices and start making good choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, I probably, you can literally do it. I mean, the dumbest stuff, the smallest stuff to the biggest stuff, it, it applies to everything. But it's really, um, it's kind of changed my life because I don't, it gets rid of like blame and excuses in your life because you're always just focusing inward and focusing on what, what you're doing. And that's a really, I like that because I, I like being in control of my life kind of. 
Well, let's, uh, let's talk about social media because I definitely don't like kid-only Instagram posts. <laughs> I'm so over people just posting stuff about their kids on Instagram. <laughs> Kids-only Instagram, though, is like, it's safe. It is safe. I like it because it validates me because I know I'm going to get likes. <laughs> That's that's why I put the social media with like the mistakes one is because I was like, I don't know, it feels like the best medium or the the most mistake prone medium that they're like I have in my life right now, or that I see that I see mistakes, I guess the most is in social, <laughs> social media. Mm, really? The most mistakes in social media? Well, I mean, if I if I see it, that means because I'm like projecting judgment, which is like wrong. Like like people posting about their mistakes <laughs> like, okay, that they are mistakes, or like like the post itself is a mistake. Yeah, like you know, again, I'm judging, and I know it's wrong. But like when I see a lot of posts, I just think, oh, that person posted this for this reason, and that's wrong, kind of. Right. <laughs> or or if you if you look at Twitter, I mean, Twitter is just full of yeah, Twitter's just full of full of mistakes. Instagram is a little different, you know, but it's full of people like full of people posting stuff and saying stuff that they probably don't actually think and that they will regret having posted. But yeah, the, the other, the other reason is because I, I had this really interesting, like um, I, I asked my students this question set, uh, like two months ago or something uh, about social media. And I was like, raise your hand. So like, imagine, you know, you just got on Instagram, you, you've been on it for like 20 minutes or something and then you, you're closing your app. Right. And imagine that feeling like the feeling of closing on Instagram, you know, you're done looking at it. How many of you like, you're picturing that feeling inside of your like soul. How many of you feel happier? Like after scrolling through Instagram for 20, 20 minutes, like how many of you feel like that made your life better or that actually made you happier? The look on their faces was the most like genuine I've ever seen from like 15 year olds <laughs> in a classroom with the teacher as they at all like dawned on them that there's this thing I choose to do every day, multiple times a day. And I would, they're like, I obviously think that choosing to do that would like make you happier, make your life better. Oh, wow. But then all of them were like, oh my, like that does not, that makes my life worse. I feel more sad when I leave Instagram or, or when I leave Twitter or whatever, you know? So that's like a mistake you can make every day, day kind of <laughs> choosing to fill your life with something that genuinely doesn't make you happier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Um, although although they, they did tell me that plenty of people do post like young, like, you know, high schoolers do post about like their mistakes or their um their like deep inner feelings but they create like second accounts mm -hmm. where they have like a public account sure. and then they create like a like a more private one that they only let like their smaller circles in where they're a lot more like emo or moody or like open kind of and yeah exactly you cut it they're like oh yeah that's where all like the that's where all the bad stuff goes on kind of <laughs> essentially would would you guys say that, that your use of social media like makes you happier? Yes. In general? Like, like how would you answer that question? Like when you get off, do you feel like better? Bro, okay. Yeah, no. I don't think Facebook makes anybody happier. <laughs> I think Twitter definitely does. And I think Instagram, I mean, I think Twitter is like the highest of the highest and the lowest of the lowest. You know, you get actual news and information from it. But I feel like Instagram... I stopped getting like around the beginning of this year. I stopped being on Instagram because I had that realization that you asked your kids. Like I would get on Instagram maybe twice a day, and I scrolled through twenty posts, and one of them, none of them made me any happier. I do, do any of us do Twitter? I got I got really like depressed. <laughs> I felt really sad after being on it for a little bit this weekend because. I forget who the artist was, but there was some musical artist who was kind of 
asking he, he used a Martin Luther King quote to essentially ask people, ask like the liberal left to like listen at least to what the the right wing conservatives were saying, at least listen to their message. Kind of his 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 plea was to like open the dialogue, open your ears, and then we can find maybe like find peace, you know. And he used like a Martin Luther King quote to to illustrate his point. And the the mentions after that uh, post, which I I personally thought was very reasonable and very balanced, and kind of the attitude that I think would actually make the country a lot better. The much the mentions after that post <laughs> that I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, were really really like depressing for me because people were just like that's un- that's unreal like we how, how dare you like say we listen to them that's not like we can't do that we can't open our minds we can't open our ears that's not that's not the way we need to do things we need to just you know continue to, to like essentially just shout at each other and call each other names <laughs> and i was like wow i thought we could all like agree that, that the the path to you know i don't know healing would be at least at least the first step to like listening but they were essentially like we don't want to listen but yeah, that's kind of like the lowest of lows that you're talking about. Is it was really? It was, I, I literally I had not felt that sad in months uh, after being on Twitter for ten minutes. I was genuinely sad. It was, it was really not a good thing. It seems like a sadness that I would be okay with, though. <laughs> with Twitter, with Justin's experience, that's not something I would want. Like every time I hop on Twitter, but that seems like a genuine morning. Maybe like a morning that it could be like you know that's beneficial to your life. But I don't know if. If that were to happen, like every time I were to hop on, I would feel <laughs> like I need to get off. Like Facebook, I like. I think maybe Facebook, from what I hear of other people's experiences, it seems like that maybe is a more common. Like every time you get onto your homepage, it's just you know people posting articles of their own like entrenched views on either side of the political spectrum. And then that that could be like depressing. I mean, if it's like every once in a while, I don't know. It just seems like maybe if that's if that's like a every once in a while on Twitter, that seems like a reasonable response to how the world how the world is. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a good point because I feel like a lot of at least my social media use is just simply like confirmation bias. Yeah, <laughs> like. I just want to follow people that I already agree with or people that I already like. And so I'm not really looking for another uh, point of view. Like I follow Colin Cowherd on Facebook and he's like one of the only uh, sports like analysts that I'll listen to because 90% of his videos talk about how great LeBron James is. And I'm like, hey, I love that. And so I want to listen to that. Skip, ba- Skip Bayless, who doesn't like LeBron James, I don't follow any of his videos. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one thing Nicole and I have started, one phrase we started to use a lot is diversity is vegetables in terms of like eating. Being around diverse people or diverse opinions or people that are different than you is kind of like relational vegetables. It's like really good for you, but it's, you would never choose to put it on your plate. You pretty much choose the vegetables on your plate because right. you're like, this is probably good for my body, right? Uh, and that's how I feel like diversity is <laughs> in a lot of ways. To like encounter all those disagreeing opinions, it doesn't make you feel good. You don't really necessarily like it, but in our opinion after afterwards, it's it's kind of good to have your – it's good to see things from other people's perspective and it's good to be challenged, you know, in your own views. Do uh, So here's my question on that. Diversity to me seems like – I feel like it doesn't have to be vegetables. Like in the ideal sense, like – I feel like I could be around or that I could be around like a plethora of opinions that are different than my own. It could be just fine. 
but I feel like in, in how fractured we are just in our lives today, like the way that we consume media, the people we talk to, the circles that we have, our ability to pick and choose our friends based off of hobbies or religious or political or social or socioeconomic. Like, we're just so able to hone in on what we like that diversity becomes vegetables. Whereas like maybe... I don't know, 200 years ago or 100 years ago, I feel like diversity would have been like fruit. <laughs> like you still get some vitamins and minerals and some good stuff, you know, some fiber from it. Uh, but for the most part, it's fun to like sit around and chat with your next door neighbor because they're your next door neighbor and you've got a relationship with them. Do you, do you think that that would be the case back in the day? No. <laughs> I think people were less diverse uh, 200 years ago than, than they are now. Definitely. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying that like with the opportunity for diversity, there's an equal opportunity for you to just be trapped by your own niche Yeah, and what whatever you want to be interested in. I like the diversity as vegetables. I mean, that that's good. I just don't use social media for that. I use social media to be entertained. And so I just want to be entertained by things that I agree with. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to make an argument that you should. I'm just, right. I think, I think I realize how much of like quote unquote vegetables it is when it's like all you get on your plate. Uh, if that, if that makes sure. sense, you know, in our context, like not being in America, mm-hmm. being constantly in a culture that's different than yours, that has very different values, uh, sees things very differently, interprets the world very differently. Even the language, you know, is different. Uh, people look totally different than you. Like all, all the different ways that things are different. You realize when your entire plate is filled with broccoli, that like you're like, ooh, this isn't something I like super enjoy eating. Like if there's broccoli on the side, you know, like if, if you're, you know, if you're one neighbor, yeah, it's like really different than you can have cool conversations. But as long as you get to go home to your family and you get to go, you know, go to your Bible study or whatever on Wednesday night and go to church on Sunday and be around a lot of people think like you, but you, but you're right. The, the opposite can, I mean, I think if you don't appreciate diversity, you do end up like someone who eats only rich foods, right? Where you don't, you don't quite get the benefits uh, that you can really come to appreciate, you know? And, and actually make you genuinely enjoy vegetables. Mm, sure. It, it's our way to comfort ourselves when we're like <laughs> frustrated or whatever. We're like, yeah, this, we're mad, but this is probably good for us. So I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys ever use Reddit? Yeah. I, I love Reddit. It's, it's my new favorite social media type of type experience. Oh, uh, no. I wish I did. Uh, you know how you feel like Rick and Morty is depressing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Reddit's depressing. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that's whenever I get on it, I feel like it's a little too like maybe gleefully like irreverent, cynical, contrarian or yeah. So something like that where I go to Reddit and I'm like, uh, this person's actually mad right now. <laughs> yeah. That's not as much my experience. I, I think I would describe it like Reddit to me, you know, the, the difference is, is that like it's anonymous, right? So it's not about the people, you're not like following people or like friending people. It's all like content focused. So that's why I like it because it feels like the content, the best content rises to the top with like the upvote downvote system. I I just feel like the general culture that they've established, like there's like a critical mass of people who value thoughtfulness, intelligence. I feel like witty, like witty humorous comments are always like you always see them at the top. And but also like I feel like they're fairly um, balanced, I think not not totally, but compared to the other other forms of social media, I feel like, yeah, they're fairly it's a fairly balanced medium where people who are willing to give critical thought to things are kind of rewarded by like the upvote downvote system. Mm. It feels to me like the best, like the best form of the internet where 
I just like that it's anonymous and so that it's not about like the person that's saying it. It's about the thing that they're saying. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got to run. Sweet, man. See ya. See ya. All right. Thanks so much for listening to our first episode. Uh, We're really excited about it. We hope you liked it. Hope you had some fun. Uh, We had a ton of fun. If you liked what you just listened to, please go ahead and tell somebody that you also think might like it. That would help us spread the word. Also, we have another episode already uploaded where we discuss the question, is parenting hard? Yes or no? Why is it hard? What makes it hard? What's the hardest part about it? Can we make it easier? All those types of questions. So if that sounds of interest to you, download the next episode and give it a listen. And we'll see you next time.